Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to an episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. Do you follow the pack or challenge the status quo? Join Ted as he explores how to succeed by going against conventional wisdom. You'll hear leaders in technology and security tell stories about how they achieve their success by doing things differently. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. CrowdSec, the collaborative and open-source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the Internet safer together. Learn more at CrowdSec.net. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tech Done Different. As always, I'm your host, Ted Harrington. And here with me today is our special guest, John Hammond. He is a senior security researcher at Huntress, and he is a fellow member of the Ginger Army. John, I'm psyched to have you on the show, man. Well, hey, thanks so much for having me here. This is going to be a ton of fun. I'm looking forward to it, Ted. Yeah. I was asking you before if it's okay to reference you as a member of the Ginger Army. And (laughs) I'll, like, walk up to people on the street and be like you have to ask yeah <laughs> yeah you, you part of the ginger army and the, and what's funny is every ginger knows they know about the ginger army they're like yeah yeah i'm in the ginger army <laughs> i was on i was on twitter and we were chatting with other folks in the industry like th- there's a another hacker handle is offsec ginger and justin elzy and ba- brian baskin they're like hey you want we should probably do something together we should get all the gingers and infosec together and do like some redhead you know bonding i don't know <laughs> We should. That idea has come up several times. So I think once we publish this episode, we should tag all the gingers in security that we know. Absolutely. <laughs> so everyone's like, where is this episode going? Yeah, um, yeah we're starting off <laughs> starting off running, right? I love it. Well, John, you're really cool. You do, you do some cool research and everything. And I wanted you to come on the show and talk about a, a few ideas. And the first thing that I wanted to ask you about was this concept. You, you brought this up in a conversation we were having the other day. And I was like, yes, yes, I say this all the time. And it's, it's very contrarian. Uh, people in security say the opposite of this. So I'm gonna ask you about this. People in security usually will say some version of, you know, the attacker only needs to be right once. And the defender needs to be right every time. Meaning like, you know, we've got attacks coming from everywhere. And as soon as they're right, like companies hacked, whatever. But you said something the other day, which I also say, and I agree with, can you, can you say it for the audience and explain the idea? Yeah. So here, I'll start off with that, with that pitch and then I'll give a little bit of the background. So what you had said, we can counter that and say, no, like, sure. You've got this statement. You've got this voice that the attackers only need to be right once. And the defense has to be right a thousand times or all the time. And I would turn that on its head and say, you know, it's a little bit different. The attackers might only need to get right once, but I would argue that the defense also only has to be right once. So I'll give that a little bit of backdrop, right? I know it's weird to go against the grain. Uh, and you mentioned contrarian, right? So that's what this show's about. Let's do absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> Tech done different. Yeah. And I'll give just a slight background. I know no one cares, so I won't talk about it too much, but I came from a red teaming background, penetration testing, ethical hacking, stuff like that. It started out instructing and teaching, right? With the Defense Threat Reduction Agency and the Department of Defense Cyber Training Academy. So I hope that I can at least talk a little bit about, hey, how hackers are breaking into computers. And I think it's not too far-fetched to say, yeah, 
attackers only have to be right once, but listen to this. The defense also has to be right just once if you do it right when you're right. You know what I mean? Like, right. say, like if you hey, flag the attack in progress. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hacker breaks in. Cool. You do a little detection. You track it down. You find it. You know when that incident happens. You've got the logs, the artifacts, everything. And the bad guys are out of their element. They are on your home turf. You have the advantage here when you're on the defense. And I think that's something that we just kind of need to have a reminder of when we get all doom and gloom and fear mongering. Hey, new headlines, vulnerabilities, exploits, CVE stuff flying left and right. It's tough. Yeah. But this is still our game or still our fight. I like that positive frame and you know, all security conversations seem to yeah, be kind of negative, right? I guess that, that's our business, right? We're trying to avoid bad things for the most part. And this idea of an advantage is really interesting. So... I might be putting you on the spot with this question, so you can pause and think about it if you need. What do we think are the advantages that we have on the defender side? So you've certainly talked about one, right? This is, we have home field advantage. I'll posit a second one to give you a moment to ponder this question. Uh, the second one that I would think is our advantage on the defender side is we have information and the attacker has to collect that information. And they might not be able to, or they might not get a complete set of information. And where I think this comes up, you mentioned you come from a pen testing background and where I think you see companies all the time do this dumb thing, right? Where, where they're like, oh, well, let's, let's do this security assessment without sharing any information because the attacker doesn't have it. It's like, but you do as the defender, like why are we wasting time and effort to collect something that you already have? So I would posit that's an advantage we have as an attacker too. We should capitalize on it. What are some other advantages that you think we have over the attackers? Oh, so there's a lot to unpack there. You threw a lot of really good questions out. I think it's it's easy to get the bare bone basics out of the way and we'll do that just for obligation sake. Look, yeah, we all know security best practices and stuff, long complex passwords, two-factor authentication, blah, blah, blah. You know the drill. You start to pour in all the other fancy doodads that still do a good decent job. We're still, hey, we have a little bit of uncertainty. We're like, uh, yeah, we're, we know we're rolling out antivirus. We know we're rolling out firewall. We know we've got email filtering. We know we've got DNS outbound, inbound, whatever. Buzzword, like <laughs> lingo and terminology to keep augmenting your security stack. And yet we still are getting hacked every now and again. And that's when people say, again, another kind of tried and overused saturated lingo. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. You're compromised to you see the breach, you see the incident. So enough sorry, <laughs> leading up to the answer to that question. All those things we get the boilerplate, but I would pitch another weird oddball thing that kind of, kind of goes against the grain. And that there are things that you as a defense can latch onto and how you're understanding and knowing the adversary, what the offense does. You know that they're going to do some external reconnaissance. You know, they're going to do a port scan. You know, they're going to fingerprint, hey, who you are, what your company is, who your employees are, your tech stack, et cetera you, as much as you might not even realize, have a little bit of control in what that looks like publicly. Even at the weird whimsical level of like, oh, cyber deception in what if I did some strange port bending where I look like, oh, hey, all the ports on this device are open. Or it, it's kind of along the same idea of a honeypot, but it's not. And I, I, I don't want us to keep driving towards that term and that word honeypot because that's not exactly right. But you throw in a couple mouse traps. You throw in a couple just gimmicks and decoys and things that waste the hacker's time 
because that helps you gain more time in detecting this activity and finding this. And that is something that I think we have a, a strong advantage on just as well. It is your host. It is your computer, your endpoint, your network. If you set up, hey, the audits, the assessments, the sensors, that can put you in the right place. I don't know. I'm talking super high level there. I'm sorry. I don't know if that was more strategy than tactical, but... <laughs> Hey, we do it all here totally. at Tech Done Different. We do strategy, we do tactics. <laughs> so you've used a term that can be really triggering to people in security. And you've, you've said hacker, which I think is Ooh. a very appropriate term to use. So let me ask you this question about that term. Is a hacker good, bad, or neither in your view? Ooh, super good question. So I tend to say the word hacker when I'm kind of, hey, having these conversations because it's colloquial enough that most of the outside world and public understands what I mean and that I am just categorizing threat actors and APTs and bad people. That is just kind of a temporary branding when I say the word hacker, when there is, just as you were alluding to, there is a really good understanding of the word hacker. Like the people that just like to tinker, the people that like to explore, that like to understand and want to know more about technology. I would put myself in that category. I think, Ted, you do the same. Like, yeah, we're hackers. We will confidently call ourselves hackers, but we aren't the APT <laughs> threat actor bad guy, right? And then there's a weird sort of badge of honor when you say, hey, I'm a hacker, which I've actually kind of talked just a little bit about in some conversations. It was a cheesy YouTube video that I had shared. I have a YouTube channel where I showcase cybersecurity stuff. And I had said, I don't want you to call yourself a hacker. And that's really more of a little bit of a pride thing. It's, it's when people are trying to learn and get into the field of cybersecurity, whether they want to be in penetration testing or bug bounty or et cetera, et cetera. It was just a perspective and just a thought. There, there are no real right answers in that, but I think you can prove your effort, prove your work and your competency as a hacker without trying to say to people and flaunt, I am a hacker in a very chest thumpy braggadocio way. I went in a lot of different directions on that. I know. Sorry. <laughs> what do you think? Well, there's, yeah, there's a few angles to it that I'm really interested in of what you just described. Okay. So uh, I was uh, giving a keynote last week and the, I actually, the title of the keynote, I titled it Think Like a Hacker. And that's one of the key ideas that I write about in my book. And I will say to literally anybody who like is around me for more than 30 seconds <laughs> is, you know, we got to think like a hacker. You brought up this idea. We have to understand the adversary, understand how they're thinking in order to be able to maybe gain another advantage in this battle. And one of the things I've sort of come across is that there's definitely this, you brought up the idea that hacker can be a term that there's a lot of pride in, right? Uh, those of us on the good side of the battle, we're like, yeah, I'm a hacker. And then those people tend to get really upset when we describe attackers as hackers, even though they're hackers too. And like the case I'm always trying to educate people on is that a hacker is neither good nor bad. A hacker is a problem solver. It's that person, like you, a tinkerer, perfect word. You describe it as a tinkerer. They're the person who looks at a system and says, hey, it's supposed to do this thing. Can it do another thing instead? And that's neither good nor bad. It's really about motivation, right? So aren't we talking about that term hacker, like in new stories, they'll say, oh, hackers breached, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, well, they're only one kind of hacker. So do we think this is a significant problem? I mean, on LinkedIn, people are crying. Crying is the wrong word. That was very pejorative. People are like upset and, you know, complaining about this issue. But do we think it's a significant issue? I would say no. I would, I would like to say no. I'd like us and this is just a John opinion, right? He, just me. I think it's something that we can kind of say, cool, we know and we understand this is a very vague and ambiguous and uncertain word that we use. 
just because we kind of have to, because we are addressing different parties in different ways. So it's very, very subjective and contextual. Sweet. <laughs> we Cool. We got that. Now let's go do the real stuff. Now let's go back to the patching that we said we needed to do. Now let's go finish up, hey, figuring out the budget for that quarterly assessment, pen test, blah, blah, blah. Let's get back to work, right? <laughs> I don't know. That I think is something that I would also brush along in the same way and say, hey, let's go against the grain of thinking on this one. Let's do tech done different here and let's keep moving forward. We know that that's a thing, but now let's get back to what we really want to do in cybersecurity. Yeah. I like the word you just said forward because you shared this idea or you alluded to this idea, but I didn't get to ask you fully about it. So I'm going to ask you about it now about this idea of defend forward. So can you tell me about what this idea is and explain it? Sweet. Thank you. Thanks for latching on to the word there. So we, we just briefly mentioned, hey, John, this guy works over at Huntress. Again, I'll just do a little bit of background, not trying to just start talking about a product pitch or any crap like that. It's just, we do manage threat detection and we bring a lot of education to as many people as possible. Uh, we say cybersecurity for the 99%. And that is meant to be the stuff that people can learn from, the stuff that people has is actionable and can really help mom and pop shop, you know, the, the local lemonade stand down the street. Hey, how do they do cybersecurity when they're getting hacked left and right? When ransomware is on the prowl, when there's Bitcoin, cryptocurrency miners in there, et cetera, et cetera. How can we help them do cybersecurity? And what are the weird, interesting thoughts that change the perspective? So this idea of defend forward is very, very much akin to your think like a hacker methodology, where you borrow a little bit of the offensive mentality in defensive work. And I've actually dabbled and kind of danced with this idea, right? When you say, hey, think like a hacker, I kind of say, hey, come to the dark side, right? You know, hey, let's let's jump into this uh, dark web. Let's go join some ransomware affiliate program. And I say this all in jest, right? Because it's illegal. But <laughs> think of how much of a different business model that they have. Think of their tooling, think of their standard operating procedures, think of their structure and organization. I would go so far to say they're doing a better job than us good guys. <laughs> when we run a business, when we do sales and marketing and demand gen, hey, affiliate programs in Revol or DarkSide or Blacknut, blah, 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 they might be beating us out there. So let's, let's turn the table one more time. And weird idea, when we look at ransomware, when we look at malware, when we look at those threats, it is, at the end of the day, software. And the same way that software has vulnerabilities and flaws, malware can have vulnerabilities and flaws, which is weird, right? And like, hey, me, a person, a human being, we are fallible and we make mistakes. We fall for the phishing scams and we'll accidentally click on something that we shouldn't maybe make some OPSEC failures. Turns out threat actors and bad guys make similar OPSEC mistakes. So what if, what if we got to, you know, try to find vulnerabilities in malware <laughs> to replace the damage, right? I, I like to hearken this back to like WannaCry. I don't know, I'm sure you're kind of familiar. Hey, the ransomware, big devastation thing. Turns out if we did a little bit of due diligence and homework, reverse engineering how that malware worked, we could find some weird idiosyncrasy, like a kill switch or finding that domain that would stop that. So you're suggesting like breaking the malware so that the attackers then can't use it? In a weird way. Huh, that's fascinating. So you, you think of like Cobalt Strike, right? And I don't mean to get too nerdy here, but you think of command and control frameworks. 
it does command and control. You send packets and information back and forth. What happens if you send it too much information? What if you start to feed it data in a misrepresented different way? Does that malicious program choke and fall over? Does it have the same vulnerabilities that the software that we as good people write? Is that a weird thing if if you start to try and displace damage with mistakes and malware? There are a couple of cool news articles and some stuff I'd love to share and, and think with you because I think that's a fun idea. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but it's more of that cyber deception and defend forward. Yeah, yeah, right. Like we gotta it's the visual that's coming to my head is almost like James Bond's car, you know, it's like he throws the stuff out the the back that like is a smoke and then there's like the tire tacks and then he's the guns. It's like all these unexpected things from a car as a way to defend himself. Right. Yep. I like that. So let me, let me ask about you personally, because one of the things that really is fascinating about you is that you are a technical person, your hands on the keyboards, what you like doing, but you're really, really good at communicating about these ideas. Um, you just not, not just your, thank you. Very flattered. <laughs> I mean, it's true, man. It's, it's not just your affect, but it's the way that you describe these ideas. And one of the things that I see across security, that's maybe a problem is that you've got these incredibly smart, talented, capable, successful people who are hands-on technical, you know, hands on the keyboard, and they have things to share that would you know, change industries if they could get up on a stage and say, look, look, here's what I found and here's what we got to do to solve it. But they won't part because not everyone likes speaking on a stage. And so let's, okay, I get that. Let's put that aside. You know, people just don't necessarily like public speaking, but there's this sort of, I guess there's two problems. One is the notion that in the minds of many security researchers, if it's not like the hottest new O'Day that is going to be bought for, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars by the U.S. government, then like, why are you talking about it? That's one problem. And then the second problem is that uh, many technical people struggle to communicate these technically complex ideas in simple business terms, which is no small feat. It's really hard to do. You figured out how to overcome these barriers. What's the advice to someone who's listening and says, you know, maybe I should give it a try, but I'm scared for whatever reason. That's a really interesting one and a little bit of a, of a rabbit hole, if you're totally okay with me going down there for just a moment. Let's go. I'll follow you. <laughs> so I, I mentioned, hey, I have a silly YouTube channel and that's been a fun thing, but that's been up and around for like a decade now. I think it finally got some traction maybe in 2018. So just a little bit of time started to really grow. But along the while, I would try and screen share or just show something on my computer, like a demonstration, like a demo or something you might naturally do for a presentation at work or for just something for, hey, a a lunch and learn or something like that. And I would try to talk as I'm showing this. And it's a weird thing when you try to type and talk at the same time and and think (laughs) at the same time as you eventually realize, you know, maybe all three of these don't come to, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But if you practice it and play with it, you get a little bit better. And I'm not saying, hey, go start a YouTube channel, although that is something I would really recommend to folks. But I am saying, And I'll pivot this to another thing, if that's all right. We were having a conversation at my day job. Was it like, this is really cool when we have people that can educate at still a very technical and on the keyboard level. They can talk. They can do the dog and pony show. They can, you know, put on the monkey suit and get up on stage, right? How can we get more people like that? And I realized that that's a problem and a hard thing to think about. And I thought, I think I figured out the answer. At least I think I got close to the answer is that 
the only unique characteristic between maybe myself or some other cool coworkers that we have is that like we spent a little bit of time teaching. Like we we spent time with a one-on-one interaction, uh, maybe more, right? Maybe that grows from one to five or one to 10 or 20 or however many you get on a stage. But that seemed to really be the commonality in that you get this explain like I'm five breakdown. You get these different analogies and imagery and similes and metaphors and hopefully an inflection and pause and whatever that, that makes something stick and retain in people's mind. And I think it's just because you, you spent some time instructing and trying to give those ideas to people. I think that really helps. I think that does make it effective. And that's not saying you have to quit your job and go be a teacher, but I think that means maybe some mentoring of your peers and having cool conversations about what you're up to and, and show them. Yeah. And then in that way, you also can see firsthand the reaction on that one-to-one level. And that person's like, oh, I get it now. You help me understand it. Because you don't quite have that when you're on a stage. You know, maybe there's pe- maybe people are engaged, but you don't know. Like, it's harder to read. Am I helping this this specific human solve their problem? You know, what is especially hard is when you got two fellows just chatting, recording for a podcast. <laughs> and we have no idea. <laughs> just making it up as we go. Exactly. <laughs> Does this resonate with the listeners? I don't know. <laughs> right, right. Is anyone besides you and I nodding our heads right now? I go with yes. I think people uh, would be listening. I heard a couple lessons come out of what you just described. Uh, One was to teach and the other was to just get in the reps, you know, get reps teaching. And that's really fascinating. One of the core values at our company is we talk about education is important. And that's not just about like academic education, but constant learning for yourself and constant teaching to teach others. And it sounds like that's what you're describing is the practice of learning yourself, but also teaching others. Those are core to how we can solve this problem of getting more people to share more ideas so that as you know, the, the proverbial rising tide lifts all boats. Is that a correct read on what you're saying? Yes, totally. And I, I would go so far as to say you can blend this. Like you can learn and teach at the same time. And you might think like, well, what the the heck? That's really weird. I'm not an expert. I don't have a degree or whatever in something that I want to show people. And like, that's totally fine. You know, when people say, Hey, the best way to learn something is to try and teach it yourself. And I would recommend being humble and transparent about that. (laughs) Thankfully in cybersecurity, I think in tech, that's totally kosher. There are no experts in cybersecurity. I'm not an expert. There's just too much stuff. I can't fit it all in my brain. So I'll just be straight up and tell people like, look, I don't know everything. I don't know the ins and outs of everything that I want to talk to you and show you and present to you, but I want to show you the stuff that I think is really cool. And I think is really fun. And I hope you get something out of it. And for some reason, that apparently works. <laughs> well, being human, right? Yeah. And yeah, yeah, revealing your your deficiencies or whatever. Uh, my brother was telling me this uh, really cool story the other day where he went to see John Oliver, the comedian, um, nice. at some point recently. Yeah. And I forget why this happened in this way. He, he told me the details. But the part that stuck out to me was at some point during the set, John Oliver, well, maybe they like ran out of time or they had more. T- there was some reason that he was like, well, I guess I'm going to try some new jokes right now that I've never tried before. <laughs> and I thought that was really interesting because he basically set the stage. That he's like, this might be terrible. And so what happened as a result was then people were a little more forgiving of it. When the jokes didn't land, he, he was able to be like, no, that's that was the joke. So you didn't laugh. Okay. You'd like be able to take notes. And it's, it's kind of like what you're saying, being able to acknowledge to people, like put it out there that you 
you might not know something or it might not be polished or it might not be perfect. And in fact, that is what makes it better than if you tried to pretend or present like you knew something you didn't. Yeah, absolutely. I'm all about it. I think that's great. Yeah. So if, if people could feel more comfortable with the fact that maybe it's the imposter syndrome that comes up a lot in, in security, right? Where people feel like, well, if I'm going to get on a stage, I better know everything about everything. And I, I felt that way when I, when I gave my first talk, I was like, I actually intentionally made it run to the limit. So there'll be no Q and A because I was worried a single question could destroy my credibility. And so I was like, Oh, sorry, no Q and A I'm out of here. That's awesome. That's awesome in a hilarious and horrible way. <laughs> right. Right. But that's imposter syndrome, right? Like I was on a stage at a conference. Like I clearly had something worth teaching. But I was like, no, I'm. this is not good. <laughs> I'm not good. I'm not smart enough or whatever. I think there's a place for that. Don't let it consume you like maybe that example might have. But I don't know, keeping yourself grounded, maybe. Maybe that's the best representation to it. When I get to hang out on stage, I, I try not to be gripping the podium or I try, to be, I, I try not to be stationary. I like to interact and walk around and move. And if, if you're not willing to make a fool of yourself, then what's the point? <laughs> And, and here we are. Yeah, here we are. Starting this episode talking about the Ginger Army. <laughs> coming full circle. They're coming full circle. So what do you think is, is coming next? You are a researcher. And within the areas that you're, you're studying, I, I actually am not entirely sure what you're studying right now. So maybe you could talk about the research you're interested in. And what do you think is changing in security over the coming, like, I mean, it's your crystal ball. So you could be right or wrong. But what's coming around, around the corner in security? Cool. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Um, you're going to absolutely hate this answer. Um, <laughs> I love it already. I love it that I'm going to hate it. Well, so when we do the rounds of hanging out with, with news reporters and folks that want to chat about this thing, write some cool stories on what is the, what's the world look like in 2023 or whatever, what's 2022 going to hold in store for us? I don't know, for one thing, not Nostradamus, don't actually have a crystal ball, can't see the future, but I'm more than confident we're going to see the exact same stuff we've always seen for like the past decade. Yeah, that's not an interesting <laughs> article for the reporter. Exactly. They're like, oh, it's a new calendar year. So security's totally changed, right? You're like, no, nah, it's the same. Is AI finally <laughs> going to come to life and save us? Uh, is everything going to happen on, on the blockchain now? I, I don't know. No, maybe. I don't know. But- we're still going to see ransomware left and right. We're still going to see public defacement. We're still going to see those denial of service attacks. We're still probably going to reuse passwords that are not good. And we're going to forget to enable two-factor authentication on one application. And that single application will be the entry point into our organization. And oops, we'll, we'll try to disclose the breach and we'll recover and we'll be on this treadmill for a little bit. That's okay. That's okay. That is okay. If that's all right, maybe that's one last soapbox I can kind of chat about is that like we might have our incident or our own oops and everyone oops, right? <laughs> that's a funny joke we tend to talk about, you know, the everyone poops book. Uh, we, and everyone still has the whoops way. Maybe we didn't get our cybersecurity assessment to a hundred percent or whatever. It's really how you respond and react to it. How quickly can you get back to being a business, being an organization and doing what you do to function? We draw this analogy and I like to think of, hey, if, if you're in a state like Florida or if we're in a state that's very prevalent to weather, 
potential natural disasters, right? You can't stop the tornado or the hurricane that might be coming. You can't move your house. You, there's no way to know it in time. You can't just pick it up and move it, but it's how you respond. It's how you recover. It's how you remediate. That's what will measure a really good organization and business in this day and age, 2022, 2023, whatever. That can be our, our crystal ball. Hmm. Ah, I like that. It's an interesting contradiction, I guess, that on one hand, it's not going to change that much. You know, what's coming in 2022? Like everything you just said, a lot of the same. Yet at the same time, technology changes so rapidly. Security has to change with it. The attackers are changing. So how do we reconcile these two things? If someone's listening to this, they're in charge of a budget at a company and the advice to them is either it's more of the same or everything's changing. How do we tell them how to go spend their money? Ooh. So, oh man, I'm so bad at answering these binary questions. <laughs> okay, let's not make it binary. Let's put it on a scale then. So I would lean towards in the scale of more of the same. I know we knew, we do need to have our own innovations. Cool. Yep. Let's get that stuff in the cloud. You should not have your own physical infrastructure if you're hey, building your own software thing, you're doing your business right now in the modern age. In my opinion, just on opinion. And people say, is there is there new security concerns in the cloud? AWS, GCP, Azure shenanigans. Yes, kind of, sort of. They parallel and mask the exact same access control lists, like act privilege the determination, do I have need to know to be able to retrieve some information? The permissions of, can I read or write this data or can I make this change? Do administrator privileges stick when I need to install or de and redeploy or undeploy something? Stuff like that. It boils down to those basics. And I think that is still the same constant that we see, whether it is in the fancy newfangled cloud buzzword or Kubernetes or et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not, I'm not meaning to be Josh on any of those. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, but I get what you're saying. It can be tantalizing yeah. to see the way the world changes and to say, oh, well, everything about security changes. We can throw out the playbook. And it's like, no, we got to better implement the playbook yeah. and then adapt to the new plays that are happening around us. Oh, I like that. The new plays that are happening around us in the playbook. Totally. Yeah, that just that just I don't know where that came from, but let's let's go with it. It's the ginger <laughs> effect, man. You put us two together in a room and it's <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, I like sports metaphors. They uh, they sometimes don't land with a more computer literate audience who's like maybe less into, you know, team sports and things. But the principle of team sports and the idea of competition against defined adversary and a scoreboard that defines winning and losing, like those are those are principles that are really helpful, I think in how we talk about security principles, right? Absolutely. It makes it kind of doom and gloomy or it makes it kind of, I feel like it, we sometimes border on some hyperbole in that like red team versus blue team, military warfare, battlefield, uh, sort of. <laughs> and this I, I think actually is kind of a fun talk track again, if that's all right, just throw another soundbite in. When we do talk about the battleground the battlefield of cybersecurity, the red team versus the blue team or us versus them of defenders versus APTs and threat actors. I think we gamify a lot of stuff. Like we capture the flag, right? With tabletop exercises, with how we role play incidents and our incident response and disaster recovery. We, we role play, but when it comes to a real threat, when it comes to an actual incident, when it comes to real country XYZ or foreign national ABC, they want to do real harm. They want to do real damage and destruction on, on some real stuff. And that's not a game anymore, right? So 
that's why I think I find a lot of fulfillment, a lot of meaning in what we do. Because yeah, I might just be tip tapping away on my keyboard, but it is real defense and real work. And that's a good thing in cyber, I think. I love that. I think that's such a great note to end on here as our, our time is coming to a close that it's meaningful what we do and it should be fulfilling. And yeah, we're typing on keys, but the result of that effort meaningfully impacts businesses, industries, communities, people. So John, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, as we wrap up and part ways here, is there any last thing that you want to leave our audience with? Honestly, nothing but nothing but gratitude, Ted. Hey, thanks for letting me hang out. Thanks for letting me ramble on. Thanks for tolerating me. <laughs> but this has been a ton of fun. I really appreciate you uh, bringing me in on the show and I hope this uh, had some value for everyone listening in. Definitely. Yeah, it was it was a good ramble. So thanks for being here. So for everybody listening, if you want to learn more about what John's about or request to appear on the podcast yourself, just go to tedharrington.com backslash podcast and we'll catch you next time. CrowdSec, the collaborative and open source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the internet safer together. Learn more at crowdsec.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.